Good evening. If you have your Bibles, turn, turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. While you're doing that, I'd like again to take the opportunity to thank Doug and the elders for allowing me an opportunity to begin to preach tonight. I know I get a lot out of this, and it also allows Doug that opportunity to spend some time with our youth as they go to these events. And I think we'd all agree that our youth are our future, and we need to ensure that they are being taught in God's word at an early age, and hopefully that will help them being, build them stronger in, our, in faith of our Lord God and Savior. Also, I want to take the opportunity to thank everyone here being here tonight. And we should always give thanks to God for each and every opportunity we have to gather together for good Christian fellowship with our church family and also for the opportunity to hear another lesson from God's word. For the first, first part of tonight's lesson, I want us to look specifically at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Specifically, I, we're going to focus on verse 12, but for context, I'd like for us to read verses 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in verse 12, we read to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. In verse 12, there's a lot there. I imagine we get a couple of sermons just out of verse 12. But for this, again, this lesson, I want to focus on that first part of verse 12 that says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness. The King James translation uses put on tender mercies. Some of you probably have put on heart of hearts of compassion. Both translations are accurate. It simply comes down to the difference between the Greek language and the English language and the translation to English, but both mean the same thing. But I like that word compassion. I think it more accurately translates to English the way we use it today. So here in the book of Colossians, 
the Apostle Paul, along with Timothy, according to the text, is writing to the Colossians, or the church there in Colossians. And here in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is starting off by stating how we, as followers of Christ, are to live our daily lives. That as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness. So for tonight, I want to look at those two words, compassion and kindness. And the scriptures do have quite a bit to say about those two words, compassion and kindness. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 1 John 3.17, here John asks rhetorically, If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need and has no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in him? 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. The fruit of the Spirit is exhibited in our becoming a people of compassionate kindness. Webster says, Kindness is a demonstration of love and goodwill towards others, and that key word demonstration. While in the Greek it refers to something good that we do for others. But compassion, compassionate kindness does not refer to a sentiment or a feeling, but to a service. Compassionate kindness is not something we feel, it's not pity, but something we do. It's a benevolent behavior bestowed upon another. It's an action. Simply, kindness is love in action. Love is not love until it acts. Love isn't love until it behaves in kindness. When we talk about love using Greek language, we usually think of the word agape or agape love. Agape love is a different type of love. It's not a feeling, it's a motivation for action that we are free to choose or reject. Agape is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, or even death for the benefit of another without experiencing anything in return. Just like agape, kindness is not a feeling, it's a discipline. We may find kindness difficult to define at times, but we can certainly see it in action. My point is that compassion, compassion is the key, the motivating factor that results in, in kindness. A heart of compassion causes us to serve Christ. In doing so, we serve others. Compassion prompted Christ to wash the feet as an example to the apostles. Compassion caused Jesus to heal the sick, preach the word, and to cast out evil spirits. His kindness is what brought him into this world to save us. Kindness is the golden rule in practice, treating others the way we want to be treated. 
Paul said kindness is placing the, the good of others before ourselves. Kindness causes us to visit the sick, to visit nursing homes, to visit shut-ins. Kindness is what prompts preachers to preach, teachers to teach. Loving kindness is what causes elders to shepherd the flock, to shepherd the flock in good times and bad, to shepherd the flock when everyone's happy and when they're not, to shepherd the flock according to God's word and not according to personal opinion or personal feelings because they know according to scripture that is what they are to be held accountable for be held accountable for the flock. Loving kindness also prompts deacons to serve the congregation. Kindness causes us to be a better spouse, better fathers, better mothers. Loving kindness causes children to honor their parents, to be obedient to their parents. Kindness prompts us to be patient, understanding, and forgiving. I was listening to a sermon the other day about love and kindness, and they used an example from a, from a book written by John McCain. Well, in Senator McCain's book, he recounted a story about one of his guards while he, while he was being held as a POW. Senator McCain told about a young Vietnamese guard who secretly loosened the ropes which bound his, his, tightly his hands and his feet then they had that for about four hours that's during that soldier's shift he was able to get relief he was deeply grateful for that soldier and wondered what drove the man to be kind when everyone else was being so ruthless then he recounts that on christmas day the one day that they were allowed to walk around the yard senator mccain spotted that guard across the yard and the two made eye contact the soldier quietly made his way to McCain and stood by him for a moment. And in the dirt with his toe, the guard drew a cross and then quite quickly wiped it away. Senator McCain wrote, for that moment, I forgot all about my hatred for my enemy, all about my hatred, the hatred most of them felt for me. I forgot about the interrogators who persecuted, persecuted me and my friends. I forgot about the war and the terrible things that the war does to you. I was just one person, one Christian, with a fellow Christian on Christmas morning. He continued, I saw him again occasionally, but he never looked at me or attempted to speak to me. But I have never forgotten him or the kindness he showed to me as a testament of the faith we shared. That experience helped me form my lasting appreciation for my own religious faith, and it took the faith of an enemy to reveal it to me. The faith that unites and never divides, the faith that bridges unbridgeable divisions in humanity, <clears throat> the faith that we are all sinners and saints alike, children of God. I became a better man, a stronger man, a more faithful man who, for at least a moment, could love his enemies. Now I know there's been a lot of debate about that story, whether truth or not. It's not for, for me to judge, but I, I, I really like and get a lot out of that story. 
And it kind of goes like I was once told when, with people's disagreements, when it comes to the truth, there's his side and her side of the story. It's human nature to recount the events in the view of each person involved. Either way, when I read the story and read the story in Mr. Or John McCain's book, it kind of stuck in my head. And then again, I heard it the other day in that sermon I was listening to. But it reminded me that love, and not just love, but love and compassion and kindness surpasses all obstacles. Senator McCain used it as an example of how compassion and kindness surpassed even over enemies, governments, and even wars. And Christ used the same love, compassion, and kindness in his life here on earth. And here in Colossians, the Apostle Paul is telling us that's it, that it's how we are to live our lives with love, compassion, and kindness. But why are we to live our lives with compassion and kindness? Simply because God the Father and Christ are compassionate and kind to us. Nehemiah said, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, Listen now, abundant in loving kindness. Psalm 86.15 says, You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says, but, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God expressed his love for us in his kindness. And he did that when he sent Christ to this earth to die for us. The question is, are we becoming any more like him, living our lives by reflecting his compassion and kindness? Or do we place labels on other people? looking down on those in need or those who may be less fortunate than us? Do we spend time criticizing others? Are we guilty of gossiping, spreading falsehoods or half-truths about others? Are we guilty of ignoring those who don't fit in with our circle of friends? Let's look at what Jesus had to say about this in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, starting at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, 
into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they, will also, then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you, do, as, as you did not do it to, to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In this example, is this how we're living our life? Are we ignoring the hungry? Are we ignoring the thirsty? Ignoring strangers in need? Ignoring the sick? What about on that day of judgment? There are going to be those who will wish that they had taken time to visit the sick, care for the homeless, or visited the elderly, or visited shut-ins, or that they had just taken a few minutes to pat a neighbor or a friend on the back and to tell them that they appreciated them. I'm afraid on that day there will be those who will wish they could take back some of those rumors that they helped spread. And those who will wish they had just spent just a few more minutes or just to help a friend when in need. Or that they had taken time to run errands or do favors for a friend, a relative who was unable to you know, get out and get around. There will be those who will be saying, I wish I could go back and just spend a few more minutes helping that friend or relative. Scripture tells us an example of this with rich man and Lazarus. I know we, we all know that story of the rich man and Lazarus recorded in Luke 16, 19 through 31, but I want to start at verse 27, the last part of it. It says, Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's, home, father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, They do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one raised from the dead. You know, I think on that judgment day, the majority will be saying exactly that. If I could just go back and have one day, one hour, just a few more minutes, if someone else could go back and talk, to my brother, my friends, my family, if, if I just had. This is the application of love 
compassion, and kindness in our life. The application of love, compassion, and kindness demands that we take action in our life, that we reach out to those who are in pain, reach out to those who are in need, to those who are discouraged, that we share the tears of our neighbors and friends, share with those who are in need, not just physically, but also those who are in need, spiritually even. This applies to us to reach out to the lost, to spread God's word of salvation. But we also must realize that living our life with love, compassion, and kindness, it isn't going to be easy all the time. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to cost us something. Take, for example, the Good Samaritan. In the account of the Good Samaritan, in Luke chapter 10, it cost that good Samaritan to have compassion. It cost him. It took the good Samaritan time out of his day. It took him, as recorded, wine and oil. It took him his comfort because he had put the injured man on his ride while he walked. It cost him money for the injured man's extended care. But do we read anywhere where he was worried about the cost? It's not in there. In the narrative of the prodigal son, it cost the father something while he waited for his son to return. It cost the father time as he was looking for his son continually. It cost him energy when he went running to meet his son on the way. We read that it cost the father a robe a ring, and shoes on his son's feet. It cost him the fatted calf they had in the banquet for rejoicing. Then there's a matter of forgiveness, forgetting the hurt, forgiving the debt, overcoming the shame. And what about reinstating his son to the family, which eventually upset his other son? But do we read anywhere where the father was concerned or worried about the cost? No, it's not in there. I don't think it ever entered into that father's mind what it would cost for his son to return. It's just a matter of fact that being kind, compassionate, and caring will consume our time, our talent, even our energy. It might even cost us money. It also might cost us some of our friends who may not share some of our same views of love, compassion, and kindness to others. But if they don't share that same view of love, compassion, and kindness, are they really the type of friends that we need? Are these the type of friends who might keep us out of heaven? Are these the type of friends worth the cost of our salvation? We have to look at our priorities and focus on what's right. We have to live our lives as Christians every day. We have to live our lives reflecting Christ, letting our light so shine in the world. Are we living our lives as a shining light 
on a hill? Or are we living our lives trying to hide it under a bushel? What is our example telling others in the world? I have just one last point and the lesson will be yours. Have you ever had to ask somebody for a letter of recommendation? Has anybody ever asked you to, to write them a letter of recommendation? I know I've had to ask people for one before for a job application. I've, sometimes when you apply for a job, there's a section there where you have to list multiple personal references. Even on loan applications, most of those have a section there that asks you to list personal references. But again, have you ever had to provide somebody with a letter of recommendation? As I grew more experienced, I hate that word, older, or that concept. But as I grew more experienced, I've had people Several. I've had come up to me and ask if I'd provide them with a letter of recommendation for jobs and different things. I'm sure that several here tonight either have had to ask somebody or have been asked for letters of recommendation by someone. You know, letters of recommendation aren't something new. That whole concept, even the the, the whole letter thing, it's it's nothing new. As a matter of fact. They are even recorded in the Bible. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verse 1 through 3. Just a second. Kind of like Doug, you kind of like hearing those pages turn when you can, you like to hear that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Do we begin again to command ourselves, commend ourselves, or do we need, as, other, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written on a, in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. See, they even had letters of recommendation at the time of the apostles. See, back in the day when Paul was, when he wrote to the Corinthians, churches would often request letters of recommendation to prove their authenticity authenticity of the person who had come to preach to them, so they would require them of them. This letter of recommendation would also authenticate that person teaching the truth was not a false teacher. Churches would also have letters of recommendation from apostles, and that church would use that letter to show their authenticity of that specific church as being a true church that was teaching the word. And it's been recorded in other historical writings that some of the false teachers of that time, they would carry forged documents or counterfeit letters of recommendation. 
today or, or recent times, these are what used to be called charlatans. Or in the past, we would compare these false teachers to the carpetbaggers that followed into the South in the, after the Civil War, taking advantage of others. But here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying that he didn't need any such letter. Paul said that his letter of recommendation was from Jesus Christ, written on their hearts, not with ink, but with the Holy Spirit. So the question I have tonight, that question is, have you ever thought about what your life reflects or communicates to those around you, to the world around you? What does the world see when it sees your daily life? Is it a letter of recommendation for Christ? Or does it reflect something else? How we live our life outside this building, it's the how and what that it communicates to the outside world that matters. So knowing that, like Paul said, that we are Christ's letters of recommendation to those around us. What should our life say to the world? What do you want your letter of recommendation to say to the world? Just if you were writing a letter of recommendation for a friend or coworker, I'm sure you'd probably take time to proofread it, to make sure there were no errors, misspelled words, bad grammar, things that wouldn't re reflect get very well on you or them. I would think that everybody would proofread it before they handed it over, that letter over to that person. But just like proofreading that letter, do we take time to proofread our life? Proofread or reviewing what your life says to the world? What our actions, what our life, what our faith, what are those saying about us to the world? We all need to take time to look at our lives and just consider what it is that it's saying to the world outside this building. Again, are we that shining light on a hill? Or are we hiding our light under that bushel? Are we proud of what our life is saying to the world? Or are we embarrassed about what our life is saying? You know, we always extend that offer at every, at every service that if anybody has need, need of prayers, need to change your life, you just may maybe have problems, need prayers of the church, or that somebody's made that decision to put on Christ in baptism. As always, we want to make that offer and extend that offer to you now as we stand and sing.